Welcome to The Ground Floor, a podcast for all those in ministry that are seeking to truly innovate the way that youth ministry and ministry in general is done. In this space, we explore what innovation actually is, what enables it to happen in churches, and to engage in an audio adventure with those who have been bold enough to build actual ground floor innovations in youth ministry in the broader church. We have a particular focus on Christian social enterprise or redemptive entrepreneurship. This podcast is hosted by Matt Overton, the youth pastor at Columbia Presbyterian Church in Vancouver, Washington. Matt is a writer, a speaker on Christian social enterprise, and the founder of both the Columbia Future Forge and Youth Ministry Innovators. My name is Nicholas Burton, the family ministry associate at Bethany Community Church in Seattle, Washington. Hey, Ground Floor friends, it's Matt Overton, your host, executive director of the Columbia Future Forge and founder of Youth Ministry Innovators. We're back with our third episode um, of the Ground Floor podcast, where we're on the ground floor of church innovation, particularly with a focus on Christian social enterprise, innovation, and uh, with a youth ministry bent, as I'm continually finding out, a huge portion of folks that are innovating in the church have a youth ministry background, and there's no surprise there. Today, you're going to get a treat. You're going to get to hear from Brandon Camella, who is the executive director of Millwood Impact. Uh, you can find it at millwoodimpact.org. It's in Spokane, Washington. And you're going to hear the story of somebody who did youth ministry for a long time and had kind of a blue sky vision of what was possible in a particular context and neighborhood. And you're going to hear how they brought together funding, how Brandon uh, really had a heart for the neighborhood and for kids and for the gospel and brought all that together into what has become Millwood Impact, how they pivoted during COVID um, and how they're trying to get back to their original sort of mission and stated goal. And they're trying to think beyond their horizons as to what's next. It's a great interview. And as you know, if you've listened to this podcast, I really value practitioners. There's plenty of experts trying to sell us products, trying to get us to do their thing or read their book or buy their curriculum or whatever else. This is yet another example of somebody who's actually doing the work of church innovation with a youth bent on the ground and has figured it out along the way. And those people are worth listening to um, and hearing their stories. So enjoy listening to Brandon um, and I talk a little bit about specifically about his experience And then I fired a few questions at him at the end that I think will be beneficial to anyone who's beginning to kind of nurse along a God-given dream for doing kingdom work in their particular context or area. So enjoy, and we're glad that you're here with us on the ground floor again. Church or or youth ministry or whatever that is different, that is kind of like what we're talking about today, right? The whole idea is different than a traditional model of church or ministry um and how how you've kind of grown that and so we just had had lunch together and talked for for about two hours and um oh, yeah cool. it, was, it was fun very was cool very cool so okay so what like, we can just kind of dive in so yeah the the whole spirit of the podcast isn't really about so necessarily social enterprise, which you know I'm a fan of, like right. and engaging the marketplace in some way, whether it's for profit or nonprofit. But it's really about innovation yeah. in general. So it does, I don't really care what form it takes. Anyone that's tried something on the ground that works is what interests us, and kind of talking about aspects of that. Um, and then just I'm trying to 
bring in folks that are uh, either occupy sort of a high altitude in the field, but also practitioners like you and I that that are capable of just saying, hey, well, this is how I actually did it. Because I really appreciate yeah. the folks that fly at a high altitude, but I'm also like for the average person that encounters either what I write or what I post, it's like, yeah, but how would I do it? And the only way I know to help that happen is to hear from people that have actually done it for so, sure um, as their main thing. So, you know, I guess what we want to start with is, you know, so Brandon, Camella, you're on here representing Millwood Impact. We got to meet, I guess, at the Whitworth Institute on Ministry through Whitworth uh, University when I was a guest yep. there sharing about my social enterprise. Was that like four or five years ago? I think it was three years ago. Was three? Was I think that it, it was while. Yeah, I think it was three. So, it, was, it was the year before before COVID hit. It was like, okay. like right at the end of it. So maybe it was um, three and a half years ago, probably. Yeah. So, yeah. so, and that's, and we got to sit down and have lunch and that's how we made the connection at the, at, especially at the time there, I just didn't know that many people that were out there trying to do either different models or models that were engaging even grants or donors, let alone actual yeah. marketplace dollars. So what we want is to, for people that listen is to hear as many stories as possible. So tell us a little about, like, I know you've done youth ministry stuff. You ended up, I don't know whether connected. I can't remember anymore because it's been so yeah, long. Like, rather, I know why you you sort of made this leap to this new model that you call Millwood Impact. And then tell us about Millwood Impact, um, and then I can ask a few questions about that. And then I have like three or four questions. We'll kind of go through together. Yeah, perfect. I think that kind of given the history of um, of my youth ministry gives a really good um, base layer as to the why behind I started Mill my why. I started Millwood Impact. Um, and so for 12 and a half years, I was the youth director at Millwood Presbyterian Church. Um, and West Valley here in Spokane is, um, Millwood itself is only about 1,700 people live in Millwood, but the West Valley community has one main high school, one main middle school and four elementary schools. Um, and so the, the greater spoke or West Valley community calls itself Millwood. Um, and so uh, it is, it's known for being a small town feel, right? And so it just, everybody, I mean, I've lived here now for, for over 15 years and, and I constantly hear that whether they've lived here for a long time or they're brand new, you just, you just have this sense of this, this community while at the same time, it is a very um, diverse demographic. Um, and so we have kind of this Northwood, this hill that looks down over the valley um, that is, you know, middle class, upper middle class up there. And then across the railroad tracks, literally, I'm looking at the railroad tracks right here outside of my office, um, is, um, is kind of low, you know, low class, um, you know, po po a lot of poverty. Um, so the schools that, that we serve have anywhere between 50 and 75% free and reduced lunch. Um, and so anyways, through the 12 and a half years of, of being on staff, um, I ran a non-traditional youth ministry approach. Um, and I say that in the sense that we had a church young life partnership, but I said we were never doing church ministry or young life ministry. We did, um, we did youth ministry, right? And, and it, the reason why I, I would have that partnership, a lot of it was the stereotypes of church and young life or evangelism discipleship. Right, uh, young life is, is known for kind of that going to where the kids are and meeting them where they're at. Right. Young life is more that, or a church is more that discipleship side. Um, and I felt like through my theology degree at Whitworth and, and experiences that I had, 
that Jesus was all about both of those. <laughs> and so right. I was like, Hey, how, how can we bring that together? And, um, and so the church had, when I got hired, had just built this community center, just, or this youth center across the parking lot. Um, and it held, holds 75 people had, they put 11 foot screen projection TV, surround sound, pool tables, uh, pool table, foosball table, but also like granite countertops, you know, kitchen, microfiber couches. Like it wasn't the traditional youth group feel because it was used for a variety of other things, but it was a neutral location. And that went a long ways because um, I've, I've really been about inclusivity and really wanting anybody and everybody to come to a space. And so myself and my leaders over the years um, really built a close relationship with the school district. Um, uh -huh. We chaperoned dances. We were a part of um, you know, assemblies. I coached golf for four years. I've sat on um, a variety of boards and I chaired and co-chaired different things. And so the relationship grew and about 80% of the kids that were a part of the middle school and high school youth programs were not from our church. Um, right. And it's a, an older generational church. Um, and so through that, we had, um, we had, you know, kids from, from all different um, backgrounds and faith backgrounds and, um, you know, be able to come and, and have a safe place to be able to, to be. And so through that, um, I, uh, our, my, my lead pastor, who is uh, Craig Goodwin, who is really the one that pushed me into the community. Um, I, I grew up in a more traditional youth ministry approach. Um, and in Craig was all about, Hey, go get involved in the community, you know, sit on the board, you know, truancy board for seven years, which is where I got to know all of the school counselors and administrators. And, um, and it's, it's been a unique relationship where I have, you know, the superintendent or the principals and counselors call me up my cell phone and talk about certain kids. And, and they really, they, they see that it's a back and forth that we all have the same mission and goal in mind. Right. So through that, as I started to realize that I think my position at the church was coming to an end, mainly because I, I did this year-long cohort with Mark Ostreicher, um, yeah. which is the, the end of that, or in the middle of that is where I, where I met you and we all went there. And I was kind of dreaming up this idea of, of what Millwood Impact ended up becoming to be and asking a lot of questions. And, and part of the, an exercise through that year-long cohort was blue sky dreaming. So we said, hey, if, if money and resources were of no concern, what would you do? And so for me at the time, I said, man, I would love to stay at the church at, at the time and oversee the high school and, and, and middle school youth programs. And then I would have um, interns under, under both of them. And then the church had just built this community center, which is in the um, right. uh, commercial kitchen, elementary sized gym and, and two classrooms on the backside of the church. Um, and, and talking to the schools, they said that there's all these kids who are just home, home alone or roaming the neighborhood after school. So I said, right. what would it look like to, to, to do things a little bit different in an after-school program and just kind of manage all of that, right? And right. then at the end of the day, I recognized that there is no way that this church would ever be able to fund that. I have two young kids. Yep. Um, my wife's a, a school counselor, part-time school counselor right now while the kids have been younger. Um, and, you know, the church was, I, for, for the experience that I had and what I was doing, I, um, I was at the point where I needed to, to do something different or be able to, you know, raise more money or something. So my, so, my so initial let me stop you idea, there and ask you a couple yeah. of questions, a couple of questions yeah. that I think come up like one. So, you know, I think I told you in, in the stuff I sent you in the email, like a friend of mine that, that works for a foundation always says, well, a story tells a story, but numbers tell a story too. So yeah. if I'm listening to this, like how big, how big is the church that, that Millwood itself? Like you said, you knew 
that it wouldn't be able to fund this. Yeah. I didn't have a dissimilar experience. So my church is substantial, but it was in the middle of a capital campaign. So I had to figure out sort of another way to skin the cat, as my mom would say. So like, yeah, how would you how did you like how big's the church? Great uh, maybe members. I don't know whether your youth budget size might matter because some people that would be a relevant piece of data. Give, sure. give me those two things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So our um, our our uh, membership is is 500. But in reality, we would have between 150 and 200 people uh, as okay. attending um, okay. a lot of those members they have just gone through and realized that many of them haven't been for a long time. And so they're kind right. of going through and doing that. Um, we literally currently like at the state that we're at right now, and even it was a little bit more than this pre COVID, but we probably have 15, 20 max middle school and high school kids combined. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But, but my, but my youth program anywhere, you know, on an average middle school or high school night would range anywhere between 25 and 65 right because you had the you um, access the neighborhood and, and the schools and yeah the yeah, and, yeah and to be honest more than half of the kids that were families that were going to our church didn't go to west valley they went to other schools and they they drove in and so those kids many of them weren't even involved in our weekly youth program because so many west valley family you know community fam, you know yeah. students were here and so they just didn't feel as welcomed um, right. which, was, which is kind of a, a, another reason of, of nudge, a sort of a nudge towards yeah. a different model. Yeah. And yeah. how long, and so, so that, here's my second, hold on, here's my second question. So like, how long did it take you? Do you describe that, that Mark asked you a question, like in your cohort that you're a part of, like to dream blue sky and dreaming blue sky, apart from a context is it, to my opinion, really irrelevant, right? Like you had invested all that you knew the neighborhood, you knew yeah, the importance of the neighbor and how connected it was. You knew that it functioned like a community. All these things you described in my yeah. mind are good missionary work. So how long, just looking for a number, how long do you think it took you before you had an awareness, you'd been embedded for long enough to see those dynamics and then recognize how you could combine them or leverage them into something different and or quote unquote better than you were currently in? How, how many years do you think it took before you're like, I can see some gospel opportunities, some things that really matter here that God might be calling me to do. Yeah. So the blue sky dreaming thing came at the very end, right? Like after my 12, I was there for 12 yeah. years. Right. Yep. But, but there had been rumblings for, for the previous two years, right. Okay. Of saying, Oh, okay. Like I want to go bigger and better. Right. I, I'm an innovator. I'm a dreamer. I'm a builder. Like let's, let's do this. And, and I had literally felt that for the previous several years, I, I could do what I was doing in my sleep, right? I had plateaued in a sense. Right. Um, and so I was looking for something to innovate and something to yeah. do. But at the same time, the relationships were so deep in this community that I didn't want to leave, right? And, I, right. and that's where I, I saw. So, so, I mean, I would say it was, there was a couple of years of me recognizing that, that there was something bigger able to happen. So quite a um, while for you. Yeah, 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 before it actually ha happened. Okay, and, so you um, so you so you come up with the idea, yeah, and you know you've got to get resources. How did you get from there to kind of launching Millwood? What got you there? And then where yeah, is so? It? Yeah, totally. So I ended up um, uh, starting the pro the after school programs while I was still on staff of the church. Um, okay. So I, I yep. started Star Club, uh, which is um, an after school program for third, fourth, and fifth graders from Orchard Elementary. Orchard Center Elementary, which is the highest need school. Um, yep. And they would be bused, bused over to the community center after school Mondays and Wednesdays. 
And right. from 3.30 to 5.30, they would be there doing life, uh, life skill stations. So cooking, sewing, um, steam, you know, things, art, homework help. And then I would, I had mainly from our church, I would have mentors, adult mentors to walk alongside them. And, um, and so anyways, kind of this idea was how would it, it came out of, I initially did it so I could raise more money outside of the church to be able to do this. You want to know numbers. My, my youth budget was $4,500 for the year. Yeah. But between both. Right. But right. I, five years ago, I had started a separate uh, youth fund where I raised support outside of the church and within the church and fundraisers, which filled that up, which allowed us to do more ministry things and right. pay for my leaders to do things and all that. So anyways, yep. that was kind of the, the original idea. And the more people I talked to, a guy named Aaron McMurray, who's with Anovia Foundation. Um, I've known him since, since Whitworth. And, and I met with him. He's all, he's works with nonprofits um, constantly with the Anovia Foundation. And 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 I kind of presented the idea of Millwood Impact, and and he said, and and he said, for one, he asked a really good question: Is this reinventing? Are you reinventing the wheel? Right? Is there somebody yep. else that you could partner with that's doing something similar? And after I explained it, that I have such a unique relationship with the school district and local businesses already from the years there, and the idea of this is that that the whole the whole goal of Millwood Impact is that a community takes care of its own, right? So right. our mission is to address unmet essential needs for the health and well-being of kids and families in the Millwood and West Valley community, right? It's a broad mission, but a very narrow yeah, very specific location. context. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so anyways, we, we, I launched it. I um, went through all of the, the crazy paperwork and everything that, with the IRS and got approved on April 8th, 2019. Um, ended up raising money and had a crazy story where I had a uh, somebody I did not think was going to uh, give any money and took me out to coffee and said, I want to, well, I want to give $50,000 to get this launched off the ground. Yep. And so February 1st, 2020, I, I started and, you know, was doing star club and getting mentors and then COVID hit. Um, and so for the last two years, we have, we transitioned mainly into food, food insecurity, but we just said, Hey, how can we live out our, our mission still? Um, and so I, you know, we did bite to go is something um, pretty popular over here. It's weekend food, um, for, for family, kids and families that need it. They, there's seven different schools in the West Valley community that, uh, kids were getting weekend food from, but they weren't in school. And so we had just gotten a grant that got a 12 passenger van. Um, and so we took that over, went to second harvest, um, got all that food, delivered them to the schools, delivered them to families, um, ran, you know, uh, food distribution for 10 months straight every single week out of the church parking lot um, and uh, and just continued to live out the mission of, of addressing unmet essential needs, which again, I come back to the basis of that is what Jesus did, right? Like, like so Millwood Impact is a non-religious nonprofit in direct partnership with, with a faith-based community as well as the school and local businesses, but it's my ministry, right? Yeah. My wife is a school counselor and she says her ministry is is there you don't it's not labeled that way but it's how we treat people and how we care for people and right and in a way if i can be really honest in a way there are things that i'm able to do more as a non-religious um, non-religious non-profit um than i can than i could at the church um yeah. and, and i'm and, and that's that's been pretty pretty fascinating to me that i feel like i'm able to to be a little bit more free in the sense of 
inclusive, being really, really inclusive and in things right. that we are, people were able to, to bring on board um, and, and serve, I think is, is exactly what Jesus, you know, calls us to do um, and yeah. how he lived his life. Yeah. Well, I've certainly experienced that to be true. The love the youth ministry. We still run at our church. And in fact, there's a lot of it overplay. In fact, a lot of our youth students have ended up saying, wow, this other thing, this nonprofit runs pretty cool. I want to be involved with some aspect of it. But by and large, both the students that are directly involved with the Forge and some unique partnerships we've kind of created with like a local school now. We have a basketball league that's come into our church that we didn't, yeah. we didn't know it existed. They found us. Huh. And that, those students are vastly different and socioeconomically, racially, in terms of any host of measurements you might think, uh, in terms of inclusivity or diversity, just as a general term, it, it, yeah. it's incredible. And, yeah. and in our case that, you know, that's on campus at the church and the church is very much baptized that as a ministry, but you know, we let kids be what they are. And if they have any interesting connection or conversation, that's great. Some of them do ask. So they're fascinated by the church or my identity as a minister like that. It's that, that yeah. is a fascinating thing to them. So, but by and large, I look at the, the students and I'm having like, this is what the gospel is supposed to do. And exactly. we have a better vehicle to get there. And, and at the very least, you know, sure, I, I, I think there's a greater narrative to life, and I want to share that and bless folks with that. But, but I'm content with about 150 base hits. I can deal with that, too. Yeah. And I feel well, like that's, it, was your, that, it was your story at the Whitworth Institute um, thing. It was your story about kind of that, that, that hit you, right, where you took kids home and you were yeah. talking about, you know, face stuff and just talking about Jesus. And all of a sudden you take them home and they don't have running water and yep. grandparents taking care of and like those basic needs and it's like are we doing enough right like like yeah. it's not just it's not just about their faith right yeah. it's so much more yeah. than that and and yeah. it's about their family yeah. right not just connecting with the kid but also their family and, and yeah. letting them have a safe place to feel like they can be heard um yeah. and that's what's pretty fun i'm actually still a volunteer um in the the same youth ministry you know program with the high school kids every single week um, and we have with, with our after school program, which we're launching back up next uh, May 2nd, which is pretty exciting, um, is that uh, um, that we have junior mentors. And so high schoolers are able mm. to become and be mentors where they're peer yeah. mentors to the elementary school students and then uh, learning from the adult mentors. Right. Um, and so it's it's that, you know, that that picture where it gives more opportunity for for students to be involved in the youth program, be involved in sports and stuff, but also there's a right here in this community, there's a place to be able to serve that they have that you know opportunity right. to learn, learn right. from that as well. So you, you went to kind of a food uh, security deal. You had all this network of relationships, but during COVID kind of drove you there. So now you've relaunched your third through fifth. It's the star program, right? Yep. Yep. And that's after school and mentoring with students in this community center that the church, uh, yep. Now you said the church built it. So how did that happen? Yeah. So they've had this dream since the forties or fifties. We found the church found these, these drawings from an idea of a community center out back um, for years. And finally, so um, speaking of, of doing it in uh, what do you call that? Where they do a fundraiser? Yeah. Like bootstrapping. No, like where you said uh, like your church experience, they, they were doing oh, yeah, a the capital, capital campaign. campaign. Yeah. Yeah. So, in my 12 years, in the first eight years, they did two three-year capital campaigns in the church, um, one of which was for this community center. Okay. Um, and so, so they built that um, 
And, uh, but the nice thing is, so the church gives me, I'm completely separate, but uh, um, we have an MOU memorandum of, of understanding where they give me office space um, and full free community center space. So we don't, yep. we don't pay for any of that. We get free internet, electricity, heating, all that different stuff. I continue to be a leader with, with the youth program. So, I go so, on a so one friends, week friends mission listen trip. To this. And, friends, listen to this. An MOU memorandum of understanding is a key document vehicle you may have yes. no experience with, which is everybody just, it's sort of like defining the terms of a relationship. Mm -hmm. You just, you, you exactly. You, we've been dating for a while. <laughs> And we're worried that some train wrecks might happen if we don't have a we need to have clear, clear boundaries about certain things. And that matters greatly. OK, so yeah. very cool. So that's how they got to it. So they really so yeah. the church really engaged some real skin in this to pull it off. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. I, I had this idea, ran it by. And to be honest, I, I had been um, fundraising. So I had a halftime staff person at the time. And Micah Sanders was halftime church, halftime Young Life. He was raising his support through Young Life. Yeah, um, but I was raising his support through the church. He had never been on the operating budget. But what this did was me starting Millwood Impact allowed him to come into my role and save the church $25,000 a year yeah. and put, put by putting him on the operating and having him run things. And the idea was originally that they were going to use yep. the other half of my salary to be able to, to hire a yep. middle school person, um, which I was like, this is so great because you're increasing ministry while keeping me around and doing this offshoot, which is, to be honest, right. a ministry as well. And, and alleviating um, the church's bottom line in some ways, which which ultimately totally. is its double bottom line, which is like, oh, we can have $25,000 more to go do the ministry we're called to do. A lot of people, right. This the reason I ask you the numbers questions, as yeah. I told you, my friend always, but it's because I think a lot of people's imaginations are limited, sometimes in terms of the ideas and the innovations we do, but also about... I don't think most youth directors, let alone pastors, have a sense of the resources that are out there and available to them if they have a compelling idea, some will to accomplish it, and they're a healthy human being, and the creativity. And, and a lot of things that people don't understand, it's like, it's not just, it, the, creating a separate 501c3 does some cool things that are unanticipated. It allows you to move funding around. You've got to pay attention to the IRS and the tax code, but yep. it allows you some unique vehicles to do things with staff. It's, it's like you brought in the chessboard by like 12 spaces and you totally. can move pieces in ways that you couldn't conceive of before. And it's yeah. incredible what you can do with that. Yeah, it's, it's really he, cool. Here's, here's a perfect example. So uh, I'll say there was some church members and people who were a little bit unsure of all this, right? Change is hard. They had just lost their pastor. They just lost the children's director. Now I'm coming and saying, hey, this is going to be great. Uh, they're hiring a new pastor. Like all this is happening all at the same time. Um, but um, the end result, so they, they love what I'm doing. They do see it as a ministry that, you know, are on board. There's a, the, the old ladies and the older ladies in the church are, are doing, you know, bringing their sewing, you know, things and yep. teaching these kids how to sew in the, you know, in the basement of the church, you know, with Star Club. But um, on top of that is I was able to, uh, last week I had a Zoom call with, with the senator in Spokane and share about Millwood Impact. And um, I had... Uh, learned and talked and asked, I said, hey, what does it look like for Millwood Impact to get on the, the uh, budget for the state for capital campaigns? And what this is, is they had, they put a bunch of money into this community center, but it needs a lot of work. It doesn't have audio visual. They had ideas right. of mezzanines up on top of the, the classrooms. Right. They, it's all the same color. So we need carpet. We need, you know, lighting, all these different right. things. And the church is like, 
we've, we've run out of money essentially. But what I can do is as a non-religious nonprofit is I can go to the state and say, Hey, here, here's the budget. If the church says, Hey, we can, that, that, that Millwood impact will be using this space for the next 10 years. It is yep. a drop in the bucket for them to give a hundred thousand dollars check yeah. to be able to have the church upgrade this facility yeah. because all of my programs are run out of no, it. Totally. Yeah. But like totally. those are the things it's, that are just, you know, are, no, are out there and available and people don't even realize. No, it's, it's absolutely, absolutely. And, 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 you know, one early on, I wanted funding for a couple of things. And one of my friends at Duke divinity school said, you know, Matt, the last thing you want right now is dollars. And it took me a while to understand why that, that partially like being up against it for a couple of years allows you to think about what's possible and then spend the money the right way. Money can kill yeah. you just as quickly as it can save you. Yeah. But it's also important take you off mission and all of those things. But it's also really important to recognize that there are incredible resources available that haven't dawned on us and we don't. So when the right idea is there and you've done the right work, you can take advantage of it. All right. So we're sitting yeah. at a half hour mark. So here's what I want to do. Yeah. I'm going to fire you these four questions that I told you we Perfect. were going to talk about. Perfect. We talked about. And we'll just do quick, like lightning answers. So okay. what felt or feels like the riskiest part of the work that you've done? Where did you feel like, man, I feel like I'm playing with fire right now. Um, I hired two staff members a month and a half ago. Okay. Yep. And, 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 and my board said, I said, can I hire these people? One's a program director and one's a, um, a communications director. And I said, can I hire these people? They say, you have to have three to six months of, of expenses in the bank. And I worked my tail off to write all these grants and, and funding and cast this vision of us expanding Star Club into four elementary schools in the next two years. Uh -huh. and the only way for me to be able to get larger grants is to be able to get data and, and onboarding, right? All these different things with yep. our programs up and running. And so I said, I can't do this alone. And so, and so I, I worked where I had eight months in the bank, but that is a quick burn when I, when I have a thousand dollars a month of, of yep. monthly donations coming in. Right. Yep. And so that was like, okay, Brandon, we we're going to do this, but, um, but I, I have this like, I'm constantly thinking now how I need to raise more money and bring this funding yeah. in and cast the vision even bigger yeah. in order. But I, but I know the end result's going to be bigger, right? I already talked with the Murdoch foundation and, and, you know, these different places that say, Hey, you have, you have the storyline, you have the, the mission, you have the, the networking, the community engagement, everything. You just don't have data yet. And so yeah. with, with COVID shutting us down and us getting back up into the running these, these star clubs for the next six weeks, and then we're jumping into a second school in the fall, it's going to give us enough data to be able to write that grant, hopefully be able to, um, to get like a two hundred or $300,000 grant that yeah. will be able to allow us to expand. So that was probably, that's a, a, a big yeah. one. And then I was it's scary. Yeah, I, I that's, I've been there is. as well. It's like, you're like, man, now I got people on the line. Yeah. <laughs> depend on this, right. You know, exactly. the needs are there for the people that you serve and they will always sure. be there. Right. hundred percent to quote Jesus, like, you know, they're yeah. going to be there and you can do that. But now you're hiring somebody to actually accomplish the mission. And you're like, hey, their mortgage depends on my faithfulness in getting yeah. the faithfulness of other lives. That's scary. Okay, so can yeah. you name a constraint or difficulty, money, time, people, space that you were up against that caused you, the constraint itself caused you to get creative about the work that you do? That turned out the constraint itself was like that ended up producing something good because I'm a big believer that yeah. you know, wanting more money or wanting this burden to be off of my shoulders 
sometimes I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm going to hang in there and I'm probably going to learn something right now and we're going to be better for it. What was one of those things for you? I mean, I think just starting me with impact, right? Like, like me recognizing that, that the only way for me to stay in this community was to innovate and do something like this. If not, I would have, I would have gone to a new community and do a, a different job and had to start those relationships all over again. But it was me recognizing that to, to support my family, to expand the, the growth of what ministry looks like in this community, it has to be different. And that was, that got to the point where I need to make a decision one way or the other. And, and it was a lot riskier to do this, but at the same time, I felt like it, I mean, the, the end result has been way better. I mean, I felt like God has been in the midst of every bit of this along the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, people always ask me about my prayer life when I've done this work. And I'm like, well, for the last seven years, I've been working two jobs and <laughs> my prayers have never been shorter and more direct because I am absolutely clear on what I need. <laughs> like, yeah. When I'm driving yeah. down the highway. I'm like, Lord, totally. this is what I need. I don't know where it comes from or how we do it, but for this sure. is what I need. I don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about it or discerning it. Like, yeah, here, you might give me something else. So <laughs> if you had one do-over or say a rookie mistake along the way, whatever you might call it, what advice would you give to somebody who's in a startup phase of, of some innovative idea? What would you say to them that you're like, I wish I'd known this earlier or had an expert to help me or a, a, a you know, a companion, whatever it might be. What would be one thing you do over rethink? Yeah, I'd say two things. One is in the youth ministry world, um, I thought that when I felt called to youth ministry that I had to get a degree in theology or religion. And I wish that I could go back and get a minor or get some extra, some classes, but it's it has been such a small piece of my job, even working at the church, where a bigger piece is communication, business, um, sociology, psychology, uh, fundraising, right? All these different things that is more the well-roundedness of what youth ministry yep. actually is. Um, that That's a big one. Um, and then right. second thing I would say is, is ask hard questions. Don't be afraid to just to find people who have done what you're trying to do and just ask them, say, Hey, can I, can I take you out to lunch? Can I get you some coffee? And there are lots of people who are doing things that, that in your community that, that, that people don't realize that they've already done and accomplished. And I yeah. felt like I was, I can do this. I'm on my own. And now I'm, I'm finally in it realizing that there's a lot of people who are doing this at the same time. And I, and I had a few here and there, um, but I feel like I, I, was, I was kind of in a silo there for, for quite a while starting yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you brought up theology and I'm, I'm like right now I'm reading through a couple books that friends have asked me to like pre-read for them. And <laughs> so a couple of those people are pretty heavily into the theology world. They've come all come out of the, the church in different ways. But, you know, one consistently asked me the question, well, to me, practical theology is just figuring out like the like. Like, what does the way we do things actually say about the God that we believe in? And so my theological training, though, like you, I would say, man, our seminaries and Christian education institutions need to train in a lot more areas. Strategy, leadership, right? Basic budgeting. 100%. 100%. Um, teach me to be an ethno or like a sociologist or like a right. or an anthropologist in my community. Those yep. things. But how do you use your theological lens to evaluate the work that you do and and what would differentiate i mean if those things matter 
what differentiates the way the way you go about the work because of the story you believe in that would differentiate you from say if boys and girls club came in and set up an impact center in the millwood neighborhood yeah yeah uh i would say the thing that i have i would say when when thinking about my my personal theology journey um has really evolved over the years pretty drastically to be honest um and one of those things is is recognizing um, that whether it's reality or perception, the church as a whole, um, to some people, no matter how well you try to come across as, as being a certain way, they have a lens. They have an experience. They have a lens, and they have they have um, judgment. And a lot of that is the church's judgment. And um, and there are are truths about uh, in, in my specific community around who is able to, to be a part of what. Um, and so for me, my theology around truly believing that Jesus is about caring for everyone, every mm -hmm. single person. Um, and so doing what I'm doing, I'm able to set up trainings that are poverty and ACEs and um, uh, uh, circle of security uh, attachment theory and LGBTQ plus training. And these different things um, that that we are able to to show. Sorry, a train's gonna be coming by right now. That's um, all right. That um, that I think that that allows me. That allows me to be able to freely do the work that I think is best for the students and the families holistically, right? And right. so if if I was if I was working for the church or if this was a, a religious organization, um, I would have some, some natural constraints around that. And, and I would have to bob and weave through certain conversations, depending on who I'm talking to. And so being able to have my own, to be honest, allows me to be what I truly believe is, is the holistic truth and the, the theology of Jesus, which is holistically caring for every single person um, right. and walking alongside them, you know, with their, um, with their faith. And then I would say that, um, um, oh, there was something that you asked in there that made me think of a second thing. Um, was it what, like, uh, what the way that you, what is like, uh, the way that you go about the work, say about the God you actually believe in? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I've had, there was a while that I had a lot of kids who were coming to, to, to my youth program, as an example, that were not, that were, did not grow up in the church and whose parents yeah. had a certain specific model of, of belief of what the church was about. Right. Yeah, so right. I, I had these parents, I had these parents come to me and say, gosh, I, you're religious. How come you, how can you can go to the church and talk to my kid at lunch and invite them to these, you know, to these things. And, and it took a few minutes and I was a hundred percent in this um, where I literally would say, come and see. I said, literally, we are here. This is a safe place. And every single week I would say, Hey, Hey students, I don't want you to believe something because I do, or your parents or your coaches or, or your uncle, anybody, but this is a place where we are going to talk about religion, about faith, about theology, about relationships, about anything and everything that's going on. It's a safe place for you to be to, to build relationships, but we, I want you to believe what it is that you learn to believe. So push back on certain things. And I said, you parents come and stay and see what we're doing. But, but this isn't a indoctrination place. I said, yes, all of my leaders are believers in Christ, 
but we set this place up to be able to be that way. And a perfect example of that, and this is, and I'm getting to, to the point that Millwood Impact, I think, has that feel within this community because I have this base understanding of, of trust within this community already. But, right. um, and this is, this is the hopes of, if, if we're doing Millwood Impact correct, this is the hopes that people would feel. I had a girl come as an eighth grader quite a few years ago who was Muslim. And she pulled me in the back. She's Brandon, I can't be here. This is a Christian thing. And, and, and I'm Muslim. My, my family won't, won't allow that to. I said, and I explained to her exactly what it is and how she, she can be here. And that's what we do. And it's not, you know, about indoctrinating her. And um, she, she went for a while and then ended up coming back as a freshman. And then she came consistently. And then um, the next year, her mom showed up, head covering and everything, um, you know, and handed me a, a check to go to Young Life Camp. And I said, really? She says, yes. And I know that you're going to talk about Jesus. I know that this is Christian, but I have never had adults care for my daughter the way that yeah. you all care for my daughter. Yeah. Right. And that is the perfect exact rep representation of what I want this community to see that Millwood Impact does, that no matter what they're going through, no matter what their circumstances are, no matter how their kid behaves, that, that we're there to walk alongside them, give yeah. them resources and love them the way that Jesus would, well, whether it's labeled that way or not. At, at, the, at the basic level, what we're talking about is covenantal theology, which is 100%. a God who says, I make a promise and a commitment to you. And though you walk away, I will remain and I will yep. reinitiate that covenant promise with you. And I refuse to abandon. I, we may renegotiate the terms periodically here. Yeah. But what I will not do is walk away. And, and that is Miroslav Wolf talks about an exclusion and embrace, standing there with your arms open and waiting. That is the church's yeah. job. Waiting, not forcing, not grabbing, not closing my yeah. arms and rejecting, but standing with open arms and saying, well, this is a dangerous posture, but I'm willing to do it. And that's covenantal theology. That is a huge theological framework. Totally. Um, patient forbearance and endurance um and that is how god has behaved over the centuries with his people and that's incredible well brent dude thanks for the time this is this is really yeah. fun because i the the whole point is when mark ostreicher asked me to start doing this podcast i was like dude i don't have time for this but i was like but i was like i'm gonna try it and what i really wanted to do was not experts i wanted practitioners because i'm tired of people inviting me to things and i'm like dude why why don't you have more practitioners what you need is the people <laughs> doing the work because yeah. they are in, they they understand more of what's going on at the ground level. So thank you so much for the time and coming yeah, on. It's been fun. We thank really you. appreciate it. So if you're listening to this, look up Millwood Impact in Spokane, Brandon Camella, C O M E L L A, and yep. um, check that out. And uh, you'll be it, it might get your imagination going about what's possible in your own neighborhood um, or community or some other thing that you've had on the side. You're like, oh, we could do that. So Brandon, thanks yeah, very much. Millwood we'll Impact stay on here for a couple minutes. Yep. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. The Ground Floor is made possible through the Youth Cartel's Youth Ministry Podcast Network and Youth Ministry Innovators. We're excited that you are joining us on the ground floor of church innovation and Christian social enterprise.